Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. And so, if you guys can make your way to Luke chapter 5. That is going to be the focus of where we're going to be at tonight in Luke chapter 5. I will say that once you find your, space, your, your place there in Luke chapter 5, you might have to back up one page because there are some, uh, some verses from chapter 4 that I want to share with you as well as we, as we set the stage here in our study through God's Word. So, making your way there to Luke chapter 5, I'll just kind of fill you in to give you a little bit of background. Um, what's going on in this chapter in particular. Um, this, is, this is a time that is very early on in the public ministry of Jesus. He's ministering here in this region uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and he's near the town of Capernaum. And I was thinking about this too, even as, as I had recorded that, that for those of you guys, is there anybody that's in this room? I think there may be a few of you that are going on the tour to Israel coming up here in the next few months. Awesome. If you've never been to Israel, or even if you have, um, this is a place that you will see on, your, on the tour itself in the little the town of Capernaum right there on the Sea of Galilee. It's awesome to see it in person. And if you've never been, you got to pray and ask God to open up that opportunity for you to go. It's just an amazing time. But anyway, back to our study. So near the town of Capernaum, um, Jesus now had, had just recently left the town of Nazareth, um, just before this. Nazareth, of course, is where he grew up. And he was there in Nazareth, and he was preaching the kingdom of God and showing them that he is the fulfillment of the things that were written about him. And as I had mentioned to you guys to take a look at Luke chapter 4, there are a couple of verses in there that I wanted to show you. So I'll draw your attention to Luke chapter 4, starting at verse number 18. And so from this text, this is what he was sharing in Nazareth. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he quotes, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus had come and revealed that he himself is the fulfillment of this prophetic word, which he is quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. The people were more focused upon some other things, as it turns out. Basically, what they were wanting here in Nazareth was for Jesus to prove himself See, it had become known, Jesus was becoming more well-known as this person who was doing miracles, was healing people, and doing all these things. And so they wanted him to prove himself of who he was. And as he was becoming more well-known, the things that he was doing uh, were, taking were taking place in other places, and they wanted to just keep him there, to keep him there for themselves. But Jesus 
is not to be kept to ourselves, even as we would consider our own relationship with him, that he is not, as we have Jesus in our lives, we don't just keep him to ourselves. See, Jesus is good news to be preached to the poor. Jesus is the way of freedom for captives. Jesus gives sight to the blind. Jesus is hope for the oppressed. And this is good news for everyone. This is good news that needs to be shared. And so when the people there saw that they could not contain him and keep him there in Nazareth, they became enraged with him. And so it got to the point where they actually wanted to throw him off of a cliff there in Nazareth, but he escaped. He escaped from them, and he went on to Capernaum to continue his ministry. So Jesus is teaching the multitudes here in this, in this area that is close to the town of Capernaum, and he's healing many people, and again, his popularity is increasing greatly. And so there in Capernaum, the people also came to a place where they just wanted Jesus to stay there because he was ministering to these multitudes of people. And it's interesting to consider, too, because whenever we come across that word multitudes in Scripture, in particular, you can picture it this way. This is a large group of people, and the people that make up this large group vary in exactly who they might be. And so let me explain that a little bit more. So in this multitude of people, you would have those type of people that are just there for the curiosity of, of everything going on. And you guys can, can kind of familiarize, or you can, you're maybe familiar with something like this, where you hear about this person that's doing all these things, you know, maybe uh, an athlete or, or uh, uh, a celebrity of some sort, just somebody that's caught a lot of attention, and basically the attention is going to be there with that person because they're just curious about who this person is. And for Jesus in particular, you think about the multitudes of people that were just curious because they're like, who is this guy? You know, he's doing all these, all these things, and they're just wondering, you know, maybe is this guy possibly, is he the Messiah? Is he, is he the prophet that Moses had written about? Or is he some kind of lunatic? I mean, this, these are the types of things that the curious type of a person might wonder about when they're wondering who exactly is this guy. But in this, also in this crowd, these multitudes, you may have the intellectuals, the people that really love knowledge. They're interested, as they would hear Jesus teach, they're super interested in the things that he was teaching. But what tends to happen with people that focus so much on that is that they miss the entire point of, of, of the depth of a relationship that needs to come uh, with Jesus Christ. And so they lack depth because they have no actual interest in entering into a relationship with Jesus. So you might have a couple of these people groups, as I mentioned, the curious, the, the intellectuals, but then you also had others in this crowd that were, you know, people that had received the healing. They were the recipients of his healing. And as you guys know, as you've gone through scripture, you probably have seen that not everybody was thankful even after they were healed. You know, there's a whole parable about that where Jesus healed 10 people, only one had come back uh, to express any kind of thankfulness to him. Um, and you might have some of those in this crowd too, that people would come, they would receive uh, all these things from Jesus, but really lacked a thankfulness. It was more of a, they, they wanted to, 
they did not want to follow him fully. And really what that tends to develop into is this sense of entitlement, like a what can you do for me type of a, type of a mentality. And so you might have some of these in the multitude as well, recipients of God's goodness, but lacking any kind of real life change whatsoever. People would come, they would receive these things and just go about their own way because when it came down to it, they also were lacking any type of relationship and were just there for the, the, free, the free gifts, the handouts, that type of a thing. So multitudes, as we think about these multitudes of crowds, even today are still very much the same way. You have the curious. You know, if we, again, if we take this to today, you have the people who are curious. You know, you might share Jesus with other people, and they're curious about him, but, you know, at the same time, they're like, well, well how is he different from any other kind of religion? You know, they're, they, they're curious, but yet not in that place where they're understanding that he, he is so different from any type of religion or any type of anything else that we could possibly label him. You also have the intellectuals again, people that really kind of enjoy the reading, the historical aspect, the knowledge, but lack that depth of wanting to know him personally. And then you have the, the recipient type of people, the entitled of what can God do for, do for me, but that really is the extent of all that they want to know in their interaction with God. And so they lack depth. All of these groups of people lack depth. But in this multitude, you would also have those that were committed, the people that understood this is Jesus, this is God the Son, and in that encounter with him, they desired to leave all to follow him, which is the whole point of what this, this, uh, this text that I'm going to be sharing with you from Luke chapter 5 is all about, leaving all to follow him, being fully committed to follow Jesus. Those that were committed and those who are committed are those that do not have lukewarm lives. They are hot for the things of God. They are also those that are not double-minded. They are not trying to, as Jesus says, to trying to serve God and mammon. Mammon, of course, is just a reference to riches or personal interest, that type of a thing. Jesus specifically said this cannot be done. But yet, there are so many of us that try. We try to do it anyway. We try to live our lives partially for God, partially for ourselves. And Jesus says you cannot do it. It cannot be done. Because the result of this is they have not given themselves completely to him. And so in that lack of giving themselves completely to him, the desire would be that God would use our lives to bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. The desire of God is that we would partner with Jesus to preach the good news of who he is, both in our words and in the way that we live our lives. The purpose for Jesus' ministry, as he himself would say, was to preach the good news of salvation to everyone. But, as we were talking about earlier, here in Capernaum, just like in Nazareth, the people wanted to keep him there. The great teachings, the healings, all those things that he did were secondary to the purpose of why he actually came. And so, towards the end of Luke chapter 4, if you look at verse 42, it says, When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him. And they came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. 
And then in verse 43, Jesus answers and says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. And so now coming into our text that leads us to chapter 5, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to start here at verse number 1 and read through verse 11. So let's take a look at God's word here. Starting in verse number 1, it says, So it was, as the multitudes pressed about him, pressed about Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. In verse 4, it says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. In verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, it says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. And in verse 11, So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. And so, bring, coming back to verse number one, we see what it says here is, it says, so it was as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God. So I want you to kind of get a picture of this because we were describing the, the Sea of Galilee, which is really uh, like a large lake, if you would think of it that way. The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles if you measured it going from north to south, and about eight miles going across from west to east. And so this crowd is pressed about him, so you get a, get a picture of what this might have looked like. I think a good way to compare this, too, would be for, I mean, for any of us who have ever been to a concert, and you're on that floor level, and if you can just kind of visualize yourself, you're, kind, you're, you're right kind of in the middle. You're not right up on the stage, but you're not all the way in the back, and you're right in the middle but for some reason you wanted to get up to the stage. You know, imagine the challenge that would come along with that. You know, you're not going to move around ex exceptionally well. And so the crowds here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee may have looked something like that, pressed in, uh, pressed in about Jesus just to hear the word of God. And so the things that Jesus was teaching there in Capernaum are probably very similar to what he was teaching at Nazareth, as we read just a little bit ago. And so Jesus, it says, he saw two boats that were standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. That's an interesting thing to think about, because I don't know if you caught that, but the multitudes, this mixed group of people, are the ones that are there, pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God, 
They're the ones that were paying attention. But these fishermen, what were they doing? These fishermen, specifically Simon Peter, were away washing their nets. And then in verse number three, it says Jesus, so a little bit of time must have passed right here. So in verse number three, Jesus, he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. So Jesus, and I think this is an important thing to remember and to take away from this too. Jesus got into his boat. And I really like the analogy that comes with that. Because what that means is that Jesus inserted himself into Peter's life. He's done the same thing with us as well. And I, and I love the picture of Jesus getting into our boat. He has inserted himself into our lives. And so he did this with Peter, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And as they did this, it says that Jesus sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, this was common for this time, this particular time, that when you would have a person who was the, a teacher, in particular a person that was teaching through the scriptures, that the teacher is the one who would sit down to teach. And in that sitting down, he was the one that had the authority to be able to teach. And so it says that Jesus sat down. It was his authority that caught uh, the people's attention and gave him this, this um, platform really to be able to teach them, to teach God's word. And so in verse number four, it says that when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He tells Simon this not as a suggestion, but as a command. But it's an interesting thing to think about because here is Peter, a very experienced fisherman. This was his life. This is what he did. And he receives this command from a Bible teacher <laughs> to, to go out, to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And it's funny to think about this because if you can imagine a Bible teacher maybe showing up to your work, imagine it that way. You know, if you had me or Pastor Ed, you know, come to your work, showing up at your workplace and telling you how to do your job. I know if it was me, it would not be good you know, if, in, if any of you guys happen to be like a car mechanic or something like that, that would not be a good thing for me to come and to tell you how to do your job because I basically know how to change the oil and that, that's pretty much it. Um, you know, you might have some in here too who are engineers who really have a mind for understanding how things work, that kind of a thing. And I would really have no place to come to your workplace and show up and say, hey, this is how you do your job or, hey, if there's any doctors you definitely would not want me to come to your workplace and tell you how to do your job. Um, but just to give you kind of a picture, a Bible teacher coming in. Now, of course, we're not talking about any ordinary Bible teacher. We're talking about Jesus himself. And the thing is, is, is you know, quite honestly, you know, obviously speaking, I just want to make this point. None of us compare to Jesus, okay? So believe me, I'm not comparing myself or Pastor Ed to Jesus. But just to give you a little bit of perspective on what, what Peter, what might have been going through his mind the things that, that, that he thought, you know, when Jesus told him to go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. It's interesting because Jesus actually says, let down your nets for a catch. He is guaranteeing that Peter, if he does this, if he obeys, is going to bring in a haul of fish. He's going to bring this in. And so in verse number five, 
it says that Simon answered and said to him, said to Jesus, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. When you read that, does it sound like Simon Peter believed that he would take in this haul of fish? It's almost as if he's saying, look, I'm the expert here. I'm the fisherman. You're the Bible teacher. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. That kind of a response. But nevertheless, as it says there, he listened. And this is where I think it gets very interesting because he listened to what Jesus said. And he even calls him in this verse, Master. He knew who Jesus was. And here is, as I mentioned, I think it gets interesting here because I don't personally believe that this was the first time that Peter had been had this type of encounter with Jesus. I believe that Jesus had called him prior to this, and I'm going to explain that a little bit more as we go through it, but we'll continue through the text. But I think the lesson here to learn was that there was not a full commitment on Peter's part or the fisherman to follow Jesus. So, look at verses 6 and 7. So when they had done this, when they had let down the net, they caught a great number of fish, just as Jesus promised. They caught such a great number of fish that their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners, who were James and John, their partners in the other boat, to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Now, for talking about Peter here, I believe this is just a, a time in Peter's life where he was still very immature. But now was a, was a crossroads time of his life where he was going to grow in maturity. And as we grow in maturity, I think, you know, for some of us, maybe, honestly, we're in that place. But for some of us, we have grown in maturity. But you begin to appreciate this growth in maturity that takes place. See, as you grow in maturity, you accept God's word as truth. And it's okay to accept God's word at truth, but not to have full understanding yet. God is going to continue to reveal the truth of his word as you continue to spend time with him, spend time in his word. Jesus said in John chapter 17, verse 7, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so it's okay, and I want to just to encourage you all as well that sometimes if you've gone through your Bible reading and you become a little bit frustrated because there are some things in there that perhaps you don't understand, just continue. Just continue on in God's Word. Don't let that uh, get you off track. Just continue to be faithful to read God's Word every day, I think is the best, and just allow for that time that you spend with Him to grow your relationship with him, you will grow in maturity, and you will understand that God's word is truth. So accepting God's word is truth. We also will believe the things of God. Though we may not see everything from start to finish, we will believe, we will believe God. We will walk by faith and not by sight, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. So we accept God's word as truth, we believe, and then we commit ourselves to him. We recognize just how sufficient he is, and at the same time realizing how insufficient we are. In John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you 
are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So accepting God's word is truth, believing, committing ourselves to him, leads to developing a deeper appreciation for who God is, for what he does, for how he works. Even as Pastor Matt led in our prayer points, just a simple thanksgiving. And I think it's awesome because it's, it's such a, uh, it stands out to me that it really kind of brings us back to the basics of when we came to the Lord in the first place. That as we grow in maturity in him, we develop this deeper appreciation just simply for who God is. For Peter, it wasn't his expertise of fishing that led to this great catch. You guys know that from the text here. It was God's provision that allowed for this great catch to take place. This deeper appreciation for God leads to a healthy fear of God. And the fear of God, as we're told in Scripture, is the beginning of wisdom. But it leads us also to a reverence for just how great he truly is. And so this growth in spiritual maturity, as you continue to grow, these are the things that you can expect along the way. So now in verse number 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he, look at what he did, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So he refers to him as master just a few verses ago, refers to Jesus as Lord here. There's something that just happened here with Simon Peter. There's something here that really clicked for him because he knew that Jesus was master and Lord. And again, I believe Jesus had called Peter previously. He had called for him to go with him to preach the kingdom of God. But it would seem that Peter wasn't fully committed to Jesus and was not ready yet for that invitation to go. He was more comfortable hanging on to the things that he knew, specifically fishing. And so Peter was face-to-face here with God the Son. And in that encounter, he realized just how small he is compared to a big God and just how sinful he is compared to a perfect God. So I want to uh, show you another example of this in Scripture. So I'm going to ask you to bookmark where we're at right here in Luke, so don't lose your place here. But I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, because I think what we'll see here is another example that is very similar to this. A true encounter with the Lord that takes place. Because when we have those true encounters with the Lord, it produces a greater understanding of just how magnificent he really is, a greater appreciation for just how wonderful he is, and a deeper understanding that you are not all that wonderful or magnificent, but yet God is. And so if you have made your way to Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start at verse number 1. This may be a familiar text for some of you. It says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, which are angels. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. 
And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And so I, Isaiah, said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. So this is, again, another example from Isaiah's life, a response to a true encounter with God. It's quite the picture when you read that. And what you see in Isaiah's life, and I think comparatively with Peter's life as well, in this true encounter with God, you see a godly sorrow that takes place, a realization that there is true unworthiness on our parts as people. For Peter... He said to Jesus, I am a sinful man. For Isaiah, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. But the thing about that, in this realization of our unworthiness, is to remember to not get stuck there. Because I have seen this in the lives of other people too, that you realize that you truly are unworthy when it comes to the things of God. You realize apart from Him, even as it says in Scripture, you can do nothing. But you realize that in him, at the same time, you can do all things, also in Scripture. See, some may stay in a rut of this unworthiness, and if you find that you, you end up in a place like that, you will, it will be impossible for you to produce fruit as Jesus desires to do in and through your life. And so this godly sorrow, as we have this realization of our unworthiness, leads us to a place of repentance. And repentance, if you're not familiar with that word, is just very simply a change of direction for our lives. And I think that's what we are seeing with Peter in this moment, too. A repentance that I no longer desire to walk this path that I have come to walk. I want to change directions. I want to follow after the Lord. And then as we're told as well that there, when there's true repentance like this, it leads to a godly fear in our lives. This fear that we talk about in Scripture, the fear of the Lord, is a reverence for the magnificence of exactly who God is. See, Peter said it this way. He said, depart from me. And Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. In that godly fear that we have, again, it's a realization of just kind of who we are in, as it relates to God. But it also leads from there to a readiness for the call whatever call God has for your life. And that's every single one of us. Um, sometimes we can think a call in our lives is, oh, that's reserved for a missionary or for a pastor or something like that. And that's, that's just simply not true. That's every single one of us. We have a call on our lives from God. And what that means is that God has a purpose and a plan for your life in what he wants to do. For Peter and the other fishermen, Jesus told them, you are now going to become fishers of men. He made it relatable for them to be able to understand that your, your focus is going to switch from this, this particular 
um, profession that you've known and how to do it. Now it's going to be focused on the things that I, that God desires to do in his life. For Isaiah, for him, he became God's messenger. He became this, the, the prophet, one who was sent by God in the simple response that even as he said, as he, was, as he experienced this godly sorrow, this desire to repent, this godly fear, he was ready for the call, and he responded in verse 8, here am I, send me. So, from Isaiah 6, now I want to draw your attention, so keeping your place in Luke 5, I want to draw your attention now to Matthew chapter 4. So make your way over to Matthew chapter 4. See, from here, what I want to show you guys is a closer examination of Peter's response to his encounter with Jesus. And so stay with me because we are going to do just a real quick overview survey of Matthew's chap- Matthew chapter 4 to verses, or Matthew chapter 4 to Matthew chapter 8. So just some things to highlight there. See, for Peter to refer to Jesus as Master and Lord, as he did in our text, there was a recognition on his part of the superiority of Jesus. This particular encounter with Jesus was met with a response of readiness to fully commit his life to him. I mentioned previously that this was not, I believe, the first time that Peter was called in our text that we read. So now I want to show you in Matthew chapter 4, looking at verse number 18. We'll pick up at verse number 18. It says in that text, in that verse, And Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now you might look at that text and say, well, isn't that the same account, just from a different gospel writer, a different perspective? And I want to challenge you on this because I do not believe that 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 is the case, and there's a couple reasons. See, in this this text in Matthew chapter 4, what do we see Peter and Andrew doing? They were actively casting their nets into the sea. They were fishing. They were actively fishing. They were not away from the boat washing their nets, as it's said in Luke chapter 5. The other thing to take note of, do we see a crowd of people that are right here with Jesus that are pressed against him? No, we do not. Do we see Jesus in their boat requesting to be taken out to teach? No, we do not. See, I believe that Peter and Andrew left their nets, as it says here in Matthew chapter 4, but for some reason, they took them up again. And perhaps it was because they were not comfortable with following after Jesus. Perhaps there was a lot of unfamiliarity in the things that were taking place in their lives. And I think primarily because of fear. So let's read on. In, uh, still in Matthew 4, look at verses 21 and 22. It says, going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So now we would consider, do we see James and John being called over to help with this great haul of fish that we read about in Luke 5. No, we do not. 
See, these men were mending their nets at this particular time, which would indicate that they would not be in a position to fill their nets with fish in that moment. They had left their father and followed, as some translations say, they followed after Jesus, which would seem to indicate that they followed Jesus, but they followed him at a distance. They lacked the closeness that would come if they fully committed their lives to him. So what did they see following after Jesus? Well, as Matthew's account continues, um, in verses 23 through 25, it says that Jesus was teaching with authority in the synagogues. They would see Jesus was healing sicknesses. They would see that he was curing people of diseases and casting out demons. And then in chapters 5, 6, and 7, they would be hearers of Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Beatitudes. And then getting to chapter 8, they would see that Jesus was cleansing a leper, which is an incurable disease. They would see that Jesus healed a centurion's servant. But then they saw this, which I believe is very interesting. So if you have made your way to Matthew chapter 8, look at verse number 14, because we'll pick up right there. In this account here, it says, When Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. So here's the interesting thing. Do you know when this account is recorded in Luke's gospel? Let me take you guys back there. Look at Luke chapter 4 verses 38 and 39. So now you can just make your way back over to Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 4, verses 38 and 39. Same account. It says, Now he, Jesus, arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made a request of him concerning her. So he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. See, now Luke is the gospel writer who makes it a point to say at the very beginning of his gospel in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. It says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, is what Luke says. Luke paid particular attention to write out the events in order. And so, according to Luke, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed before the account that we're studying through in Luke chapter 5, which would then make Simon Peter's reaction and response to Jesus make a little bit more sense, to call him master and to call him Lord. He fell down at Jesus' knees in verse number 8, uh, fell down at Jesus' knees in chapter 5, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man Oh Lord. So did you guys follow that? I know that was quite kind of a lot to share with you guys, but I think it's very important because for the simple fact that God is very patient with us. See, again, as I shared with you all, he has a particular calling for each and every one of our lives. And God, as he puts that call out to us, will patiently wait upon us as well. See, I think what had taken place here through Peter's life, and I'm not picking on Peter, um, but his life serves, serves as an example for us, 
that they had not yet left all to follow him. But God in his patience waited, and in that time of waiting also was very persistent. See, God will do the same thing with us too. As he is patient and waiting upon us, he is persistent to continue to pursue us. He will pursue you. See, because he has a will to be accomplished. And the cool thing about this is realizing that he invites you and me to be a part of the will that he wants to accomplish. See, our God is very gracious. And I believe for Peter in this, in this time, he came a second time to call him. The call would be to leave everything once and for all, to follow me, Peter, forget the fish, and become fishers of men. And that's what he wanted to do with their lives. But that is what he wants to do with your life, the same thing. And I wonder how many of you might be in here tonight or within the, the hearing of the teaching here that God has called you and now is calling you a second time or perhaps a third time or maybe a tenth time. See, have you had that encounter with God that encounter with God that has produced a godly sorrow in your life. That encounter with God that has led to a genuine repentance where you have turned away from the things of yourself to walk with Jesus. Has that encounter with God produced a godly fear within you, a reverence and appreciation for who God is? Perhaps you have not yet fully committed your life to follow him. And it could be that today, God has a divine appointment with you as you have come here tonight. As you respond and follow him fully, submitting yourself to him, you are going to be astonished at the things that God wishes to do and to accomplish in you and through you. See, back to our text in Luke 5, in verse 9, well, verses 9 and 10. It says, For he... Simon Peter, and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And I believe there is a very specific word here for some of us tonight, because if we were to be honest, we would acknowledge we have been afraid. Even as Jesus says, do not be afraid. Obviously, he was addressing something that he knew was going on in Peter's life. But again, for some of us, maybe we've been afraid. And it's interesting because that word afraid is the same word where we get our English word phobia. It's like an internal fear that we have that when it comes to this relationship and deeper walk with God, this fear has kept us from those things from experiencing that deeper walk with God. This fear has kept us from completely submitting our, ourselves and our lives to him because we want to maintain control, or at least so we think so. This internal fear has kept us from experiencing all that God has for our lives. But then there's an external fear aspect of phobia as well. On what do you think people are going to think of you? We worry about those types of things. We have a fear about that. That if we respond, what are they, they going to say? What, what types of things are they going to think about me? We also might have a fear of what you think God will ask you to do in order 
to fully follow him. We might have a fear of failure, not trusting, and so it has kept us from taking steps of faith. See, there is a remedy for this, and the remedy is to exchange the unhealthy, worldly fears that we have for a healthy, reverent fear of God, to put that in the place of fearing God as the Bible talks about. Remember, the fear of God is, as the Bible says, the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom is gained. We exchange our limited wisdom and capability for an unlimited godly wisdom and ability that he gives. The Bible tells us if any of us needs wisdom, and the truth is we all do, we can ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. That's what it says in James chapter 1 verse 5. And many of us think that God Uh, We think of God in this way because we haven't yet fully committed our lives to him. We think we're going to be punished for coming to him for wisdom when in fact he invites us to do it. We haven't fully committed our lives to following him, totally surrendering our lives to Jesus. As we do those things, we will know him more. We will trust him with our lives. The unhealthy fear that we have, the reluctance, the hesitancies, will be replaced by a healthy fear, an awe, and amazement of who God is. We, we might even, and I know I've done this plenty of times too, where I've looked back at things that God has done in my life, and I'm just absolutely astonished and amazed that God would use me to do that particular thing. You guys probably can identify with some of those things yourselves in your own lives on the things that God has done. And you look back at that and you think, wow, God, just absolutely amazing. Um, But perhaps for some of you, you haven't experienced that. And I tell you, as I mentioned before, there's a remedy for these things. To completely submit ourselves to follow Jesus fully. At the end of our text that we read in Luke chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Forsake, that word forsake, means to lay aside, to leave, to let go of, to dismiss, to put away, to abandon, to quit, as in, do not take up the net again. Don't be one that follows after God at a distance, but follow him fully. And you can do that as you completely commit yourselves to following Jesus fully with your lives. And so tonight, you know, for those of us that are here, I want to just put that challenge forth to you because in God's word, which is where the power is, it's not in Jason's word, believe me, but in God's word is where the power is. And I believe there may be some of us that are in here tonight you know, perhaps we've been believers. We've, we've submitted our lives to, to Jesus and having accepted him as the Savior of our lives, but yet we haven't fully allowed for him to be the Lord of our lives. And in making him the Lord of our lives, we're not just calling him that by a title, but that is his function. He is living his life through us. And so the challenge that I want to put forth to any of you that perhaps God's word has spoken to your heart is I want to invite you to very simply come to the front, and what I want to do 
is to just pray over you. You know, again, perhaps you've recognized that, yeah, that really spoke to me. It's God's Word spoke to me and has made me realize I have not fully committed my life to Him yet. And I'm missing out on some of the things that I know God wants to do, or even things that you, know, you don't know that God wants to do with your life. It's an amazing life to just fully submit yourself to Him. And so if there is anyone that's in here, I want to give you that attention. Amen. Thank you. I want to give you that, that opportunity to just come symbolically right here before the altar of God and submit yourself to Him tonight. Take that step realizing you've never done it. You have not fully submitted yourself to him. You have not fully committed your life to him. And you want to take that stand. You want to do that tonight. You want to be all about the things that God has for your life. And I just want to give opportunity, if there's anybody else, I've got a couple of brothers that have responded here tonight, recognizing that, yes, they want to completely commit themselves to the things of the Lord. Amen, sister. Amen. Amen. Is there anyone else? Come on down. Come on down. And I'm just inviting you to come down because I'm just very simply, I'm just going to pray over you. And we as a congregation here, you're surrounded by brothers and sisters who absolutely love you and want to encourage you. And so I would just say, you know, even guys, as you see folks coming down, take note of who this is and encourage your brothers and sisters that in this decision they make here tonight to completely commit themselves to God, this is a stand they want to take. They want to submit themselves to God. And we have that responsibility and that privilege to encourage one another in our walk and our commitments in the Lord. And so, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else that has been waiting? You know you want to come down, um, but are awesome. Awesome. So let's pray. Let's pray for these guys and sisters. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for the power of your word that speaks to our hearts and meets us exactly where we are. Lord, that we come to that realization that there are aspects of our lives that we have not yet fully committed to you. Uh, Lord, and I know ultimately there's a lot of fear that might come with a decision like that, uh, but Lord, we can trust you more. We can allow for you, God, to do the work that you desire to do. Uh, Lord, to, to work mightily in and through our lives. Lord, that we would come to that place where we do look at the things that you do with each day as it comes and goes with just amazement and astonishment of, wow, God, you did that. I can't explain that away any other way but other than to know that, God, it's you that did that work. And so I thank you for these brothers and sisters, Lord, who have responded. And I just pray over them for their lives, Lord, as they take that stand for the things of you, Lord, that they would not take up their nets again. Lord, that they would fully commit themselves to you and live their lives fully for you and the things of you. And so, God, we just thank you for the continuing work, Lord, that you, can do, that you do in our lives, even to this day. Lord, we can read a text from so long ago, and it speaks to our hearts even today in recognizing, God, there is many things that you wish to do in the world today, and we get the privilege of being a part of it. And so, Lord, use us as a congregation to encourage these brothers and sisters in the commitments that they make before you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. 
For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.